Welcome to episode 93 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. And if you are at a point where you are having to choose where you're going to have your fertility treatment, this episode is going to be of real interest to you. If you've just discovered the podcast, basically what I've set out to do since 2014 when I launched it is to give you a resource that wherever you are on your fertility journey, there is something for you, whether you're just starting out, whether you know you've got to have fertility treatment, whether you're looking at other options to have or complete your family. The Fertility Podcast is a safe place for men and women to hopefully learn more about what can only be described as just a kind of mind-blowing experience when you've realised that it's actually not going to be straightforward to start a family. Now, if you're based in the UK, you'll be hearing about funding cuts to fertility treatment on the NHS all the time. It was the case that CCGs around the UK were allowing three rounds of IVF treatment according to NICE guidelines. What's been happening is that budget has been cut and more and more CCGs are offering either one or no rounds of fertility treatment, which means that more and more people, if they have been told that that's the route they need to have fertility treatment, to have a family, are having to self-fund. What's becoming apparent is that Lots of people are looking to go abroad to save costs. And in this episode, you're going to be hearing from a clinic in Greece who invited me to London to find out more about what they were doing. So I went along and I met them. And I also met a lady who shares her journey, her fertility journey so far of having treatment in the UK and then her decision to go abroad. So if this is relevant to where you are on your journey, I hope that it might answer a few questions and maybe answer a few of your worries. And I really hope it's of interest to you. Hi, my name is Chrisa Karakosta. I'm from New Life IVF Greece. We're an IVF lab based in Thessaloniki, Greece. And it's lovely to speak to you today. And you, and I have to I have to confess, I just asked Chrisa to say her name so that I didn't mess it up. <laughs> so we're here in London where I've been invited to come and we've just had a lovely breakfast to talk about New Life and your clinic in Greece. Because you've done some research looking at the, the number of UK patients coming to you for treatment. And, and I just want to get a really good understanding of why. Obviously, there's a cost factor but also the kind of treatments we were just talking about some of the people that you're seeing who have had preliminary tests on the NHS and what you're finding out so as a starting point because I know you used to work in the UK let's just talk about the kind of the main reasons that people are reaching out and and, and coming over to, to Greece. We started having patients from the UK about five six years ago um, at that point the majority of cases were for egg donation because of the lack of egg donors here or the fact that here in the UK they're mainly known donors and they wanted something more anonymous. Nowadays, though, there's more and more people coming for own eggs as well because of lack of funding on the NHS or long waiting lists on the NHS So it's and low cost, so obviously. So when we say low cost, I don't know whether you can put a specific amount on, but is there like... Is it half as half as much? What what kind of figures are we talking? If we're talking about private UK care, yes, we'd be talking about half the price. So as far as how it all starts, because choosing a clinic, as I've said many a time, is is overwhelming. You know, you look at the HFEA stats, you ask your friends, you if you're given funding, if you're fortunate enough, you go buy what's in your area. But if you then make that decision that you're gonna sell funds and you're gonna choose because the power is in your hands. Mm-hmm. How do you get your head around going abroad to, to have this kind of treatment? You have to do your homework, obviously. First of all, you have to see what type of treatment you're looking for. Uh, you need to um, look at which countries offer it. And then you have to, I'd say, make a short list of a couple of clinics in each of the countries that you, that you like the most. 
then um, you should have, um, as we offer free Skype consultations or live consultations, we do one-to-one ones in London, um, meet the people that are going to treat you. Make sure that these are the people that are going to treat you and you're not just meeting one person and then you're going to be treated by someone else when you get there. Make sure that you ask all the questions that, you sh- that you're worried about. Uh, does the staff speak English? Is it a safe place to travel? Um, what are the costs, the clear costs, no hidden costs? Will there be add-ons? Um, will I have any trouble you know, taking my meds from the UK to Greece or to Spain or wherever you're going? Um, will be, there be someone there to support me? What happens after I come? Do you just you know, put the embers back and say goodbye to us? You need to ask all these questions. As professionals and as IVF clinics, we need to sort of make you feel comfortable, secure, and that you're going to get the best treatment that you can possibly have. So your typical scenario, somebody comes out to you, they've had the Skype consultation, they've decided to come to Greece for their treatment, to Haukadiki, which I've been on holiday and it is lovely. Would we not actually come out to you until it's time for the egg collection? What happens with the whole drug start and the drugs teach and going through all that process? If we're talking about IVF own egg treatment, uh, what we try and do is we've got a lot of professionals here in the UK that can assist with preliminary testing, with assessing you. That's one option. The other option is some people want to get a feel of the clinic and we uh, allow them to come over for a first-time appointment in Greece where we we do all the preliminary testing uh, at low cost. Um, Some are free of charge because we want you to be able to sort of uh, have that money for the flight to come over. Um, At that point, when everything's ready and in place, we get medication from the UK through online pharmacies that we work with. We guide you, we teach you how to do the, the, uh, the injections and everything. You're supported every step of the way, and we start the meds in the UK. That means that we can limit the time that one needs to be in Greece between 7 to 10 days, and that's for the female partner. The male partner, because sometimes work is an issue and they can't be away for a very long time, they only need to come in, fly in, we free samples, and then we can use it when that's uh, needed. I mean... I'm just thinking, go and have a holiday and have some time out and do it. But it's really interesting to see how, you know, you can manage the process around your work, which is a big concern for people going through treatment. And I know that your work was as a trained embryologist and you're now Mm -hmm. a patient, the patient liaison uh, person, because you've got people coming to Greece from all over, haven't you? One of the reasons that we decided that I step down and leave the lab was because we wanted to have someone in place that was uh, speaking to patients on a daily basis, either through Skype, emails, phone calls, that could give answers immediately. Um, if I didn't want to choose like a secretary because they would have to get back to the medic, the medic would have to get back to them, it takes longer. You need to have support 24-7 for people coming from abroad. They're scared. They don't know what's happening. You need to be able to guide them and support them throughout the whole process. And that was the reason why we thought that I would be a better match to that position. Now, in the little presentation that you guys gave earlier, the number of searches for IVF abroad was over 507,000. Have you seen an increase since the funding cuts have happened in the UK? We have. Nowadays, about 40% of our work is international. And from that 40%, about 70% comes from the UK. We have seen, as I told you, a shift also not only to have egg donation, but also IVF own egg. And now a new trend is starting for egg freezing as well. Um, women from the UK that are uh, young, career-driven women um, are seeking places where they can sort of um, freeze their eggs at a lower cost and sort of be able to fund it now so they can secure their fertility in the future. 
Now, Kirsty, who um, we'll hear from later, talks about uh, she feels that you see more advanced. What, what is the difference in treatment in Greece? What we offer is very personalised. So each case is looked upon individually. So we cater for the needs of each case. It's not one woman's 35 and uh, she takes this amount of, of meds and the same goes for any 35-year-old woman. So um, when you look at things individually, you can give them specific procedures, treatments that they need. They're not paying for a lot of extra add-ons that are not needed. Um, And at the same time, as a clinic on our part, we try and keep up to date, up to speed uh, with technology, with new procedures, but we will only offer techniques and procedures that have been medically proven to make a difference and not just to, you know, add on. So as far as being able to keep the costs down, how does that work? I think just generally things are much cheaper, as you know, in Greece, uh, from accommodation, from travel, from services that we have. Um, I sometimes don't understand why prices are so expensive in the UK and even more so in the US. Uh, I have had patients that explain to me the cost that they've paid for the lash treatment and their whole trip to Greece with flights, with accommodation at five-star luxury hotels doesn't even work up to half of that amount. Um, people just overcharge. For example, in the States, it has to do more with liability and you know, they're, they're, the medics are trying to cover that aspect of things. In Greece, uh, we believe that we can offer a very good level of service of treatments without overcharging. That will bring more patients in and you know, we can keep doing what we love doing. Now, with the different research that you've done, um, people's concerns have been their, uh, the language barrier, also the inconvenience of it. So what would be, I know you talked before about if people need to come back for work and what have you, what would be your advice if people are worried about those types of things? Language barrier, as I said, have first of all Skype consultations or a love appointment with the clinic to see, do the staff speak English? Because yes, there will be clinics all over the world that will offer treatment and say and advertise things, but won't you know, add up to what they are. Um, now, regarding the travel, I think limiting it down to a week for you to be away from work and to focus on something that's so important in your life, I think most people can do that. Uh, obviously, each case is different because the time frame that we need couples to come over could be even less. We've managed, for um, example, for egg donation um, treatment cases for you to only need to be there for two days. So um, I think you need to speak to uh, the clinic see what you need and then we can cater for whatever you need and what about and I'm sure this is ridiculous but I know when we'd had treatment so we had treatment in kind of the the May and we were maybe going to go away in the June or July and I I was at the time where the opportunity came up I was adamant I wasn't going to fly because I was nervous about doing anything you know that could affect me in any way do do people raise their concerns about getting on a plane they do they actually worry am I okay to fly after the transfer Um, isn't that going to affect treatment and things but no I can reassure you that it does not affect treatment Uh, it doesn't affect the outcome we have people flying as far away as New Zealand on the same day of the embryo transfer and have had a successful outcome there are no studies showing that um, flying influences the treatment at all and you have to remember that after placing the embryos back in an IVF treatment cycle, you're just as any woman that has tried naturally um, do air stewardess when they're trying to have a baby stop working. No, they don't. And do they deliver perfectly healthy babies? Yes, they do. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And let's just talk about success rates. Tell me a bit about yours. Obviously, one of the major things that a lot of people ask about is success stories and sort of uh, success rates. 
we always have to though um, look at things on a personal basis. Not every woman that's exactly 40 years old has the same ovarian reserve or will have the same success rates with own egg treatment cycles. And success rates, I can start and never end with this one. With egg donation, we're talking as high as 70% for uh, positive pregnancy rate. With own eggs, it varies just with so many parameters, the sort of ovarian reserve of a woman, the age of a woman, the embryo quality that plays about 80% of the final outcome. That's that's the most important parameter when we're doing IVF, embryo quality. And that's why as an IVF lab, we focus on having top quality embryos because that's what's gonna make the difference. So last kind of piece of advice for anybody thinking about traveling abroad to go for their fertility treatments, what would your biggest, best piece of advice be? Do your homework, do your homework. Seriously, there's a lot of clinics and one of those clinics will match your needs. It doesn't mean that everyone will be the best, a new life will be the best match for everyone, um, but you just need to do your homework, see what you're seeking, not base your decision just on success rates or just on prices or just on location of a holiday. Um, do your homework and see overall the feel that you get of a clinic, apart from just the, the, the things that are on a website. Thank you, Krista. You're very welcome. All the details of New Life Greece will be on the show notes. And before we hear from Kirsty Riley, a patient at New Life, and her decision to have treatment abroad, a little note from my sponsors who make this podcast possible. The Fertility Podcast is supported by OvuSense. If you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming, OvuSense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device. It has a vaginal sensor and app and it fits like a tampon so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. You use it at night whilst you sleep and then in the morning you simply remove, wash it and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now OvuSense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit ovisense.com. The Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey and you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk. I know how daunting it is finding information about fertility issues, so I wanted to tell you about The Fertility Show. It's on the 4th and 5th of November at London's Olympia and is open to anyone wanting to start or extend their family. Meet experts face-to-face at the exhibition or attend one of the brilliant seminars by a leading fertility specialist. Visit thefertilityshow.co.uk for more information. Hello, I'm Kirsty Riley and I'm undergoing IVF treatment at the moment and I'm going to be 42 next month. So let's just talk about the point where you found out that actually things weren't just going to happen um, when you started trying to have a baby. Um, I met my partner age 37. We decided within about eight, eight or nine months that we were going to try for a family because I was getting older. And that's kind of when it started. I got pregnant straight away. I was very lucky. And then when I went for my 12-week scan, there was no heartbeat. So that was a missed miscarriage. So we went and we tried again. Same thing happened. And then about six months later, again, we tried. The same thing happened. So we had three miscarriages in a row. And that's when we decided to look into getting it investigated on the national health. Um, So loads of tests were run on my last missed miscarriage. They actually sent the sample away. 
um, and they said there was a chromosome abnormality, could be down to my age, but they also picked up that I had a blood clotting issue. So from that, we started to look into IVF, but I'd missed the the criteria for age for the NHS funding. Right. So at that point where you say you started to look into IVF, was the advice given to you that in order to have a baby, you were going to need fertility treatment because you were getting pregnant? I was getting pregnant, yeah. No, they kept, the doctors just told me to keep trying, but it was my friends who had had lots of miscarriages and gone on to have success with IVF, said, you know what, you should just go and see a proper specialist now. And as I was getting older, I was starting to panic. So I I looked into IVF, I did a a, a cycle in the UK, which cost me a fortune, I'm still paying for now. And I was just treated like a number, if I'm honest. So you had an unsuccessful cycle in London. In London, yes. And as a result of that, the the treatment and the failure, you've you've now chosen to go abroad for your treatment, which is what we're having a chat about. So Mm. that process, because personally, I found when we were looking at clinics, Mm. that was overwhelming in itself to try and choose where to go because you're looking at stats and Mm -hmm. you go on a bit of advice from your mates and you you don't really know what you're looking for, you just want a baby. So it's quite a big thing to make a decision Mm. to go abroad. So Mm -hmm. talk me through that that decision-making process. Well, what happened after I had the failed treatment in London, I went to see a few other clinics and they were so expensive, I felt like a number and I thought, I can't go through this again. What am I going to do? And I was literally at my wit's end. And it was actually somebody in my office had said to me that a few of the, well, I'm a model agent, so a few of the male models' partners had had success in Greece. And I should look at going there because it was much cheaper because I really couldn't afford £8,000 a round. So I thought, well, you know what? If, If it's going to be cheaper and I get a holiday at the same time, why not look into it? So I did a Skype session with New Life and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to just give it all I've got and I'm going to see what it's about. So I, off I went and I'm going to be doing my third round in 10 days time with them. So you've had the Skype session and yeah. then you go over there. Talk me through what happens. So when I first arrived there, I went with my partner because he had to do a sperm sample, but he had just started a new job so he couldn't stay with me. So we went last November and so I was quite freaked out because he left me and I was just there on my own thinking oh my god so I ended up did you feel like you're on holiday I didn't then because it was terrible weather it was snowing it was like the first time they've had snow in years I did sit in a hotel room and I cried but I thought you know what it's going to be worth it in the end if I get a baby to hold in my arms then I'm just I've got to go through it so I set up my office there and I worked from there we did PGS testing because of my miscarriage history, um, so I could fly back straight after the egg retrieval. Um, unfortunately for me, two came back abnormal. The other two, we, we'd never found out what they were, um, but we froze them because they couldn't get enough tissue without damaging the embryo. So that's what's actually going to be going back in this time round. Right. When I got the PGS test results back, I thought my world had ended, if I'm honest. I thought I'm never going to have a baby. There is something wrong with me. I've got abnormalities. Just explain for people that don't understand what that test so, shows. So it shows if you've got any genetic abnormalities. So it would pick up on, I guess, Down syndrome, even cancer, like any sort of syndrome that you could have that would lead to a miscarriage as well. So to get those devastating results, I literally cried for a week and felt like somebody in my family had died. I felt like somebody was telling me, you're never going to have a baby. At at this point, sorry to interrupt you, 
Were you getting any support about specifically about this fertility journey that you were on? Were you seeing a counsellor from the clinic or were you looking at any groups or anything? So Chrissa from the clinic was in touch with me every day. She was amazing. I've cried down the phone to her many times. I've been on forums as well. I've joined like lots of forums. I've met a lady that had a stillborn baby and she's been incredible. She's, had, she's now about to give birth actually, to an IVF baby. So I've met a few people through the um, social media. Um, But I did keep a lot of it to myself. Um, I do see an acupuncturist who I share a lot with, and she's also a therapist in this sort of field as well. So, yeah, I felt like that was a big point for me. I felt like I had a bit of a meltdown. Um, And I think for a woman, being faced with the reality of never having your own children is the worst blow that can happen to you because it's like that God-given right is being taken away. But after that, I picked myself up. I went back, I did a fresh cycle recently, which I did get pregnant, but I miscarried very soon after the, the positive. So we're now gonna put the two frozen embryos back in. And I'm just hoping, like, you never know, it might be a miracle, let's see. So considering that you've had investigations about the miscarriage mm. and it's happened with the fertility treatments, what have you learned from the conversations that you've had having been through the recurrent miscarriage that could help this time around? I think I'm just trying to be calm. I'm trying to think that, look, the doctors believe I can achieve having my own baby without egg donation. So I'm just trying to focus on that for the moment. If it doesn't happen, then I will cross that bridge and I will look at other options. But for now, because I am actually still producing eggs... I am getting pregnant, which is, you know, for my age, is quite good. So I think I'm just taking each day as it comes. And I've decided I'm not putting my life on hold anymore. The last three years, I've put everything on hold. I've stayed very stagnated in my job. I still haven't got married. We put that on hold because we wanted to have, we thought, get the baby out of the way because I'm not getting any any younger. So I think for us, we've decided to move forward with our other plans and get on with normal life rather than just focus too much on this because you can lose yourself. I think that is such good advice because mm-hmm. when we were trying, I'd never been skiing and all mm-hmm. friends were going on ski holidays and I kept putting it off being like, what if I'm pregnant? And thank goodness we went skiing because then we ended up having to have treatment and got pregnant and haven't been back since. But so you know, I was you tumbling exactly. and falling everywhere and was so pleased that I'd gone with that clear head of not worrying that what if I fall down and I am pregnant? So you're completely I think the right what is is what I've put to the side because you know what? I've said what if for three years and I've missed out on a lot of opportunities. And if I get pregnant and think my circumstances change I will deal with it I'll figure it out I'm not putting anything on hold now I mean you're from the conversations that we've had uh, you sound like you're in a really good place you've been through uh, the real run of things Mm. to date so it's been three years you've been trying to conceive and so I know that you've been looking at other options if this Mm. doesn't work but what advice would you say as well as the what ifs you Mm. know and not putting your life on hold what else would you say to a woman listening who's in her 40s Mm. who has maybe been trying and had failed treatment you Mm. know just like you have or even hasn't had the treatment yet but because you you sound like you you know you really did look at everything Mm. before making these decisions and it's a bold move to go abroad to do it yeah for me financially is why ultimately I had to make the decision to go to Greece because I couldn't afford to do it well I could but I didn't want to remortgage my house and get in loads and loads of debt so this way it's more cost effective you get one one-on-one treatment you get a holiday at the end of the day but I just feel like medically they just seem a bit more advanced over there as well also they opened my eyes to a lot of other options that I would never have thought of like egg donation I was like oh no I don't need egg donation that's not my child I mean ultimately it's not something I would choose to do but I think for women that can't have children 
you actually can. Like, there are other options. You've got to change your mindset. Because genetically, you're carrying a child that will be made up of three people. So there's nothing... I think with, there's a lot of stigma in the UK about that, whereas in America, it's totally acceptable. So I feel like they've opened my mind. You know, also there is adoption. You know, there's a lot of other options, and I will have a baby by hook or crook. It just may not be how I envisaged it. You know, get married, have the three kids... It's just been a bit of a different journey. But if I can help other women, you know, along this way, then I would. that's what I want to do. I want to inspire them and, you know, show them not to give up because I think there is light at the end of the tunnel. And being in your 40s, have you had, have you felt any kind of negativity towards you, people being like, oh, you left it too late, oh, yeah. it's not going to happen. Have you yeah. dealt with that? Oh, I find, I think it's very ageist, actually. It's like, well, I didn't meet my partner until I was 37. What am I supposed to do? I've had children with, with men I wasn't going to stay with? I don't think so. So a lot of people are ageist. They're like, oh, well, you've left it too late. Just get on, get on with your life and enjoy it. But, you know, we don't choose when we meet our partners. We didn't, I never thought I'd be in this position. But I'd rather that than be a single parent, if I'm honest, divorced you know so I think even doctors are a bit like oh genetically you know you are getting old now like a geriatric mother like they say in the Bridget Jones film yeah and I'm like I'm not old like (laughs) if I was 55 wanting a baby for the first time then I kind of get it but I feel like in your your 40s are the new 30s you know we've changed we've evolved in modern times so give me a break I've worked hard to have so I can afford to have a nice home to, to raise a family in schools like so it's a double-edged sword mm. it really is so your advice on that side if, if people are feeling like you know society's telling them that it's their fault they've left it too late just because just keep asking questions is yeah. what I always say just keep, keep asking and no it's never too late I'm sorry well we're still like women and having periods like you can still conceive you know you hear of miracles and women in their 40s are getting pregnant and having healthy babies so I don't feel like we should succumb to like people being ageist it's discrimination <laughs> well good luck thank you when's the next fro- when to the frozen the embryo 26th transfers? of 26th this month July because yes. we're speaking July 2017 yes. alright well we will keep Let in touch and uh, fingers crossed thank you and so it's much. just such a positive mindset that you, you've got to hold on to now every step yeah exactly like I said I've taken a few months out of work good because I need to focus on this this has to be my priority and and just yeah, whilst you're out there in Greece, mm. do, you, do you treat it like a bit of a holiday? Are going to stay for a little while? Oh, yeah. yeah. Last time I went um, to a spa with a girlfriend, and that was fun. And we just had, like, massages and went swimming and sunbathed Lovely. and laughed. And, yeah, otherwise if it, it becomes tedious if you just sat there for treatment. So I'm going to go and do some sightseeing. My other half is coming with me this time. And, well, yeah, if we're going to make it. Well, it is going to be our holiday yeah. at the end of the day. So we're going to make the most of it. And it's a nice, it's a beautiful place. How Kadiki's amazing. So you can get a nice beachy holiday and get totally chilled out. Got everything crossed. Thank you. Thank Me you too. Thank Thanks. You. So some things to think about if you are wondering whether going abroad for treatment would be right for you. And the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash Greece. Do have a look and um, there are open days as New Life have said for you to attend to. If you're listening to this podcast when it's come out, which is August 2017, there's one next month in the UK. Do sign up to the Fertility Podcast newsletter at thefertilitypodcast.com. And if you get yourself to iTunes and rate and review this podcast, it means even more people find out about it. And hopefully it will be helpful for them as I hope it has been helpful to you. So until the next time, take care. <laughs>